This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, April 20th. I'm Matt Hoish. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, State Monitor's new version of Omicron variant. Town Council discusses voodoo housing development. Telluride Elementary School gets new principal. And a mountain weather forecast. Public transit has been one of the last spots in San Miguel County where masking is required. But earlier this week, a federal judge struck down the federal rule mandating that masking. So now it's up to each transit organization, though there is uncertainty if an appeal could change that ruling. I would just caution that depending on how things go from um, a federal level, this may um, flex back due to the appeal ruling or it may be um, upheld. Um, So there may be some nimbleness and shifts uh, there for um, organizations that um, are managing this. That's San Miguel County Public Health Director Grace Franklin updating the Board of County Commissioners this week. Both the San Miguel Authority for Regional Transportation and the Galloping Goose have stopped requiring masks. The town of Mountain Village is monitoring the situation and has not yet made a decision about masks on the gondola, which reopens in late May. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Franklin adds, still recommends people wear masks in enclosed public spaces. So in crowded public places, it definitely is a layer of protection um, that um, is beneficial for those um, that want it. The change comes as a new version of the BA2 Omicron variant emerges. That new version is called BA2-12-1. That looks like it's more transmissible than BA2, but it, it, it doesn't show, um, there doesn't seem to be evidence yet of increased severity. Um, so there's a lot unknown here. Um, but the um, we're starting to see this. It's pretty highly, it's hit New York very strongly and um, has shown with an uptick in cases across the board. And the CDC estimates that about 19 or 20 percent of the U.S. currently has um uh, surveyed for that BA2-12-1 uh, subvariant in the United States. But modeling, Franklin notes, shows that while the new subvariant could lead to a small bump in hospitalizations, it wouldn't be the kind of bump from the Delta and Omicron surges. From a um, disease management standpoint, it still looks hopeful. The state, Franklin notes, is paying attention to the new subvariant. Still, she says it isn't a big red flag. Locally, cases remain low and steady, which Franklin says is really encouraging. But she adds, statewide, there is an elevated plateau. So not necessarily a substantial growth, but um, just a little bit raised higher in um, case counts. On the vaccine front, federal regulators recently approved a second booster for anyone 50 or older and anyone 12 and older who is immunocompromised. So if you had your last booster more than four months ago, and you fall into that eligibility criteria, um, you can get um, that second booster. And I would definitely say, especially with all of these shifts with the subvariants, it definitely makes a difference for severe disease, and it's highly encouraged. The county will continue to offer testing Tuesdays and Thursdays at the depot clinic and offer vaccine clinics every other Tuesday. Oral COVID treatments are also available at Sunshine Pharmacy and the Uncompagre Medical Center, but a provider visit is required to get a prescription. 
A new Telluride housing development continues to hit stumbling blocks. On Tuesday, Telluride Town Council, sitting as the Historic and Architectural Review Commission, held a call-up to discuss a proposal for the Voodoo Lounge lot. The site is located on the northwest corner of East Pacific Avenue and Willow Street, across the street from the post office. It is just inside the historic district. That's Jonna Wenzel, Historic Preservation Director for the town of Telluride, presenting before town council. The town of Telluride owns the property and plans to develop it for mixed use. 29 units of affordable housing, commercial space, public restrooms, a relocation of the free box, and the restoration of a historic shed. Over the past several months, the Hark Board has discussed the Voodoo Lot project. Through the Hark meetings, the board has provided feedback on what they feel the development needs to do to fit into historic preservation guidelines. Wenzel notes Hark's purview is on the exterior design only, focusing on consistency with the master plan and land use code, design considerations based on the historic district, and design guidelines based on zoning for the area. She emphasizes the limited scope of discussion. Not uh, preferences or opinions or uses, feelings about the project, any other information you may have heard. Um, It is a quasi-judicial hearing. So you'll need to decide if this request meets or does not meet these standards and criteria. As part of the design, the town is looking for variances on height. The height maximum in the district is 35 feet. The town is looking to build up to 40 feet in some areas with just over 36 feet in others. The district also recommends one and two story buildings. The proposed design does have some areas of three stories. Here's Maura Trumbull with CCY Architects, the firm working with the town on the development. Those are stepped back significantly at the center of the building to create additional articulation. And at the street edge, we are proposing one and two story elements, emphasizing those along the street edge. According to Trumbull, the setbacks of the third stories, the buildings themselves set back from the lot line, and the heights of the stories fit within the average of other buildings in the area. She notes CCY has been working to shift the design, bringing it as in line with heart guidelines as possible. All in all, she believes the design on the whole is consistent with the guidelines. We believe that this project does achieve, you know, the intent of the applicable guidelines. We believe we meet the applicable review criteria for preliminary review. Um, We feel strongly that this is consistent with past decisions um, in this area and in the historic landmark district. And we do believe that this is compatible with the scale and the character of the warehouse commercial district. During public comment at the meeting, some members of the community, including Rosie Cusack, shared their concern about the mass and scale of the development. This building is simply too large. This has nothing to do with us not wanting affordable housing. It's just too massive. And I will say, and I don't mean to be offensive here, but this building looks exactly like many over there in Aspen. But a majority of comment questioned the process itself, taking issue with town council calling up the project in the first place. Here's Zelda Tenenbaum, followed by Joe Solomon. I do question why this was called up um, by town council because, uh, and, and I, I would hope you would remand it back to Hark and let them do their job. 
Hark was doing a great job in managing neighbor concerns and applicant desires. And none of us were really scratching our head why council grabbed this out of their hands. You guys don't have the expertise required of Hark. So we ask that you please remand it back to Hark. Hark was moving in a very timely manner. Hark Chair Mark Shambaugh, along with four other Hark members, even threatened to resign from their position if town council did not send the project back to the board for decision. It's with a heavy heart that if the due process and the design guidelines are gutted, rendering Hark a shadow of the current ability to be the stewards of historic preservation and the guidelines you appointed us to withhold, we are left with no no option but to resign effective one week from this hearing today. Greg Craig was the lone public comment in support of the project at the meeting. It's classic NIMBY. It's classic wealthy folks trying to preserve perceived threats to their property values. And I hope that town council will move forward and someone has to speak up for affordable housing in this meeting. There was a number of written public comment, both in support and against the development. But for several council members, it was the Hark process that urged them to call up the issue. Here's council member Geneva Shawnette. At the preliminary work session and at the March 16th meeting, Hark was repeatedly discussing items that were outside of their purview. And there was a sense that the application required more scrutiny because it was coming from the town. Um, there were numerous times that Hark members made statements um, addressing the affordable housing coming within. But the one that stuck with me because it was really upsetting to me was, I don't see why ceiling heights need to be that high for an affordable housing project. I found that completely inappropriate, not to mention insulting to our local families and community members. And I don't think that Park should be discussing in a meeting why free market residents deserve a higher ceiling than someone who's living in deed restricted housing. None of that is appropriate for a Hark meeting. Council member Adrian Christie adds she's disheartened to hear Hark members threaten resignation, but notes it is town council's right to bring any issue from the commission level up to council. I also just want to comment on many of the references that people have made both today and in letters with regard to saving Telluride or Telluride's soul or our landmark district and all of those different things. That language has been used as an argument against this project in some ways. Um, And I just want to remind people that it could also be used in its defense. So much of Hark's job is subjective. And while you might cite one guideline for one thing or the heart of Telluride and our soul in one way, I would use those same guidelines um, and that same statement about saving Telluride with regard to this project as well. After over four hours of discussion on the development, town council did not come to any final decisions on the project. Council plans to continue discussion on Monday, April 25th at 9 a.m. Telluride Elementary School has a new principal. On Tuesday, the Telluride School District Board of Education approved the hire of Kelly Trinan as the new principal. KOTO News spoke with Trinan last month when she was in town for a meet and greet with the community. Trinan is currently the principal of an elementary school in Indiana, but started visiting Telluride when her daughter, son-in-law, and grandson moved to town. I always said to my, my daughter, jokingly, we said, if there's ever a job that opens up, I'll apply for it to get closer to family. And there was one that opened up and she sent me the link and we thought, you know, let's try it. Let's see what, see what comes of it. 
She says working in elementary education is a no-brainer. If kids can make you smile, you need to keep doing it. And so I'm not ready to to quit yet and keep, I just want to keep moving on and I just enjoy working with kids and staff and parents and education is a good gig. She says in the job, her first step will be to get to know the community. Because I do think community needs to work with the schools, um, get to know the parents, really understand what Telluride Elementary School already does. Um, I'm not here to come in with, even though I've had a lot of experiences, it's really to understand what they're doing here with, with their students, with curriculum, and then as a leader, support them in what they do. Thinking about the programs and initiatives she's excited to dig in on, it's the dual immersion program. I don't have experience with that. Um, I do come from a school with many languages. We have 27 languages in our school that I'm currently at. But dual immersion is a whole different programming. So I'm excited to learn more about that and support them as needed. Trinan holds a master's degree in elementary education and a second in administration and supervision. She has worked in elementary education for nearly four decades. Trinan was one of three finalists for the position. In a letter to elementary school staff, Superintendent John Pandolfo noted all the candidates brought different strengths and qualities, but says Trinan is, quote, the complete package. Trinan will take over as elementary school principal on July 1st. April in Telluride can only mean one thing. We've got road work coming up. Karen Guglielmone is Telluride's Environmental and Engineering Division Manager. That road work will run for about two weeks and kicks off this week. We're going to uh, be milling, and then the next week we will be asphalting. All in all, Guglielmone says it's going to be about half a million dollars worth of road work on streets throughout town. And we're going to do that on West Colorado Avenue. That's Main Street from Aspen to Pine Street, full width. And then we're going to do that on West Columbia Avenue, full width from Townsend to Oak. And then we're going to do a little bit at West Galena Avenue, 300 block, the 100 block of West San Juan that's over by Smuggler and Bottle Works and a little bit on North Alders to help people be able to negotiate North Alder when they turn off of East Colorado Avenue without hitting huge potholes. They'll also be doing work just past the roundabout at the entrance to town. So while that's occurring, people are going to have to be diverted down Mahoney to Pacific Avenue, and that, I'm sure, will drive people insane. But, Guglielmone adds, town will schedule that work so it doesn't interfere with morning school traffic. As for the other areas of road work... No parking on those streets uh, for those two weeks, I'm going to say. But traffic will be allowed on those streets once it's milled. They'll be doing a rolling a rolling closure, as they say. Guglielmone says it's a really big asphalt year for the town. A big piece of that, she thinks is deterioration from heavy truck traffic. Lighter vehicles aren't as impactful on asphalt as uh, heavily laden construction trucks and, and material trucks and delivery trucks. It's a combination of weather, it's weight of vehicles, frequency of that number of vehicles. As the road work happens, Guglielmone asks everyone going around those areas to pay attention. Be aware of the signs and uh, be sensitive that very large equipment is there and respect the closures when they're occurring. 
Sidewalks, Julio Mone adds, will be open the whole time, but be prepared for a drive around Telluride to take a little longer over the coming two weeks. Kiernan Lannan says the last year for the Telluride Historical Museum was not half bad. We did as good as we could do, given the circumstances that we had. Lannan is the museum's executive director. He presented the annual museum update to Telluride Town Council at their meeting this week. The best part of last year, Lannan explains, was a return towards normalcy after the challenges of the pandemic. About 10,000 people went through the museum to visit and participate in programs. That's getting closer to a pre-pandemic number for us. That was fantastic. The museum also unveiled its Mahoney Gallery last year, highlighting the history of the town's transition from mining to skiing. There were also some challenges. They had to cancel several events last summer as the Delta variant surged. We had to cancel our Ken Burns film screening at the last minute and our Feasting on History event. Uh, Those are two of our highest profile fundraising events, so that was kind of unfortunate. Still, Lennon says, all in all, the year was successful for the Telluride Historical Museum. Looking ahead, the museum is looking to move to storage facilities that are closer to town and plans on returning to its full programming slate this year. Plus, keep an eye out in the coming months for a new annual exhibition on 50 years of the Telluride ski area. As white snow gives way to green grass, you can feel it. Summer is approaching. Another sign of the impending season? Registration is now open for Telluride Arts 2022 Summer Bazaar. The bazaar features a range of handmade crafts, including artisan jewelry, organic body products, gourmet food, ceramics, and clothing. The 2022 bazaar will set up shop in the Telluride Transfer Warehouse Friday, June 24th through Sunday the 26th. Registration for a booth is available at telluridearts.org. Colorado lawmakers are unveiling another effort to help survivors of natural disasters like the Marshall and East Troublesome Fires rebuild their homes. As KOTO Scott Franz reports, it would create a $35 million grant program along with a new government office. Supporters say the new Climate Preparedness Office will set up better ways of responding to natural disasters and improve how the state prepares for them. Senator Steve Finberg of Boulder is sponsoring the effort. He says Colorado has become a, quote, disaster state. This is part of our story over the last several years, and it probably will continue to be. We need to think more long term about how we prepare for those disasters. Finberg says his bill will spend millions to help residents rebuild their homes to be more energy efficient and less prone to wildfire damage. It's advancing at a time when several fires are popping up around the state, including one in Gun Barrel this week that led to evacuations of nearby homes. I'm Scott Franz at the state capitol. Jalen Koff won silver for the U.S. and the women's moguls at the Winter Olympics in Beijing in February. Koff grew up in Alta, Wyoming, on the western side of the Tetons. Kyle Mackey of KHOL Jackson got the chance to chat with Koff about her experience in the Olympics COVID bubble and caring for her mental health while competing on the world stage. Jalen, thank you again for taking the time and for joining us today on KHOL. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, so... Let's get started. I'd love to hear more about your experience in the Olympic COVID bubble. (laughs) How did you mentally prepare for that? 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like the the last two years, you know, since COVID started, we've been mentally preparing for that, knowing that, like, especially after seeing the Tokyo games, knowing that we weren't going to have friends and family and we were going to be locked down, China's restrictions were all going to be very strict. And so basically a month, it was like Christmas Eve, we got a message from Ski and Snowboard that was like, stay at home alone, don't see anyone, like, don't socialize, like, this is kind of crunch time of like, we have to be as careful as possible if you want to get to China and compete in China. And I've heard you talk in some interviews about the experience of not being able to have, you know, most of your friends and family there, Mm -hmm. you know, at the bottom of the run. But uh, you said that that camaraderie of your teammates was really what uh, helped get you through this year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, we are like such a close-knit team. And I think especially within the last two years of like having to be so careful with one another and and isolating so much um, or isolating as a team so much together. Um, It's really brought all of us closer, you know. And I had my boyfriend there too who's on the team, um, which was nice to be able to have like one of the closest people in my life at the bottom of the course as well. That definitely made a big difference. Yeah, I think we all saw the video of him jumping up and down (laughs) (laughs) after your run. (laughs) Amazing. Um, And of course, we saw the videos too of all your friends and family gathered here in Tetonia, the Tetonia Club, which I believe your dad, he runs or owns? Yeah, yeah, he runs and owns it. Okay. Um, Yeah, and they had a big watch party at, at three in the morning out there, which was Really cool to see the videos of that and how many people were there. Yeah. It was crazy. Despite your Olympic success uh, this this winter, and I know you also, I think, got your 20th world championship podium. World Cup podium. World Cup yeah. podium. Okay. Uh, this season, which is amazing. <laughs> You've also been open about how you said it was a difficult season for you. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how you take care of your mental health when you're competing on the world stage. It's such a high level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess a a little on that. Like this year was just, um, I qualified for the Olympics um, in December. So after our first two events of the season based on results from the last couple of years. Um, And so that was a huge weight lifted off of me. I was going into the season, like we had a month long training camp before the first event. And um, I was literally crying every day, just in like full panic because, you know, the season is starting. It's three weeks away, it's two weeks away, it's one week away, we're here, and, like, I don't think I'm ready, and I'm not ready for the Olympics, and that was, like, just the pressure the Olympics brings on is a lot, and probably a lot more than people realize, you know, because it is, it can be cut down to that last minute of panic and stress just trying to get there, much less figure out how to, like, handle the Olympics themselves. During these intense weeks or like when you're in the bubble there for the Olympics is there any time during the day when you can like unplug from skiing or from competing and not think about it or is it kind of with you 24 7 um yeah I think I'm I'm pretty good at like kind of like when I'm off the hill like there's a time to do video and talk about the day with the coaches or my teammates maybe but um I kind of setting that aside and be like okay now let's do something else or, um, you know, enjoy the rest of the Olympic experience. Because it can be like if you're constantly thinking about it, it just builds and builds the pressure. And so it is really good to have that kind of step away. Like, you know, you review the day and then you can move past it. 
All right, great. Well, Jalen, thank you again for taking the time to join us today on KHOL. Yeah, thank you so much. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around freezing. Thursday, expect sunny skies with a high around 60 degrees. Thursday night should be mostly clear with a low around 40 and wind gusts as high as 30 miles per hour. Friday calls for partly sunny skies with a high around 50 degrees and a 70% chance of precipitation with some thunder possible and wind gusts as high as 45 miles per hour. Friday night, expect snow showers with a low around 20 degrees. Some thunder is also possible. This has been the news for Wednesday, April 20th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, personal commentaries. The San Miguel Resource Center invites you to join us in recognizing Sexual Assault Awareness Month, which takes place throughout the month of May. Each year, we recognize Sexual Assault Awareness Month to provide educational resources, raise awareness on sexual violence, and to stand in solidarity with survivors of sexual violence. You can get involved, too, by joining us for any of our events. We've partnered with the Wilkinson Public Library and the Lone Cone Library, and we'll have the book Speak by Lori Halls Anderson featured in their book clubs. You can also participate through Denim Day, which is as simple as wearing denim on April 27th to show your support for survivors. Or if you're a high school student, you're invited to enter into our youth art contest with a chance of winning some awesome prizes. If you'd like to learn more, follow the San Miguel Resource Center on social media or feel free to give us a call at 970-728-5660. Keep your eye out for event details, dates, and locations by checking the Kodo community calendar. We hope to see you all this May. Hey Kodo listeners, May is Mental Health Awareness Month And there are lots of events planned to learn more about mental health issues, care for your own wellness, and show our community support for this important topic. The first opportunity is a free movie screening and panel about the impact of race on our mental health. Hosted by Communities That Care, the film Race to Be Human will be presented at the Transfer Warehouse on Saturday, April 30th, starting at 7 p.m. There will also be a bake sale to benefit the Communities That Care High School Club. The day after that, Telluride CrossFit will host a free class at noon on Sunday, May 1st. After that, learn to recognize the signs of suicide by taking a Safe Talk Suicide Alertness training on May 3rd from 2.30 to 6.30 p.m. at the Elks Lodge. Let's kick off mental health awareness with a bang. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.